I believe, as Martin Luther believed, that every question about the Bible that we have can be answered from the Bible. That all of this word is inspired by God and breathed out. That doesn't mean God took a pen and wrote it down. He used ordinary people to put it together. But he guided and directed that through this word we can encounter his immeasurable grace. What if that's how we approached each day? Today, God, I will be a mess. I will do the wrong things. I will say things I shouldn't. I will hurt people I love. I will forget people who've hurt me. I will do the wrong things today. But your word can show me a better way. And what if you and I saw that through this word we encounter a God who loves us? even through the uncomfortable and challenging thing. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com Or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. This mess that we have made, there is a reality, whether right now you feel it or not. We have made a mess of this life God has given to us. Maybe your life looks really good. I hope so. But the world around us certainly doesn't. We have made a mess out of this life God has given. And yet God is in the business of unmaking all of our messes and undoing everything we have done that is not good to bring good out of that which we were making evil. God unmakes all things so they can be remade new, made in His image, in His likeness, in His plans, in accordance with His ways. There comes a point in time for many of us, not always and not for everyone, but for many of us, When this mess that we have created or this mess that we are living in that has been made around us either comes to define us and we surrender to it or our eyes are opened and we wake up to say this is not who I was made to be and something has to change. As we begin this series looking at the things God is unmaking or inviting you and I to begin to allow Him to unmake that we can be remade new, we begin with a place that is really personal and painful and yet, I think, really important to start. The church. I don't know about you guys and your past with the church. I know for some of you, The church as an organization, as a body of believers, as an institution has been really, really wonderful and a huge blessing in your life. It's been a source of strength and encouragement and understanding through really difficult times. 
For others, the church has been really, really ugly. We look at this body of believers and this people and this organization and this place and we have all kinds of trepidation and fear because we remember the way that the church has made a mess of our life in the past. And we find ourselves not so sure we're ready to engage or commit or believe. I want you to know today as we begin to look at Scripture, well, not begin, we do so every week. As we begin this process through Scripture, I want you to know that if you are here today and the church is not something you fully love and you see problems and challenges and brokenness in this mess of people we call Christians, if that's where you're at, maybe today is the day God will begin to unmake your expectations and your perceptions and even your past experiences to remake something new, and to get to Scripture and this whole need for us to be unmade, I want to back up about 500 years, because everybody likes a really good history lesson, right? So here we go. Maybe it'll be really good, maybe not. A little bit of history 500 years ago. In fact, it was 1505, so a little more than 500 years ago. There was what I would call a pivotal moment in history. A thunderstorm. Anybody ever been in a really, really good thunderstorm? Like, I don't mean the ones that we have here that like come by and there's some real thunder and some lightning and 10 minutes later they're gone and it's like nothing happened. But no, like a really good thunderstorm. Last summer, I had the joy of going back to Omaha to visit my in-laws and celebrate my grandmother-in-law's 90th birthday. And we went back and we had this great time. And while I was going back, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if I could see a Midwestern thunderstorm? See, thunderstorms in the Midwest are very different than we get here in Knoxville. You can watch, because it's so flat and there's no trees, you can watch the storm coming for miles. And you can see the wall of rain. You're like, that's going to really hurt if I'm caught in that one. And you can see the hail piling up. In fact, sometimes it hails so much they have to get the snow plows out to clear the hail from the road. Thunderstorms are filled with lightning that fills the whole sky and thunder that shakes the whole house and it lasts for what seems like forever. And if you're from the Midwest, you see the storm coming, you decide it's a perfect time to get a lawn chair and sit on your front porch and watch. And if you're not from the, the Midwest, you're a little bit smarter, you go to the basement and you hide because you know this could be the end of your life. And it's awesome. So we went back to visit and everybody's getting ready for bed. It was like 11 o'clock and I noticed the clouds were coming in and I thought maybe tonight will be the night there's a good storm. And so they all went to bed and I stayed up and I watched from the safety of my in-law's house out their window as the storm rolled in and the trees were whipping all over and lightning was lighting up the whole sky and the rain was coming down. And I was like, this is awesome. And then I went to bed and while I was asleep, the tornado siren went off and I slept right through it like a good Nebraskan does. And I slept right through the tornado siren and I woke up in the morning and I was like, that storm was awesome. And then we turned on the news and like hotels were destroyed and all kinds of roofs were missing. And our, my mother-in-law's house, that was fine, but not everybody was. It's like maybe that storm was a little more dangerous than I gave it credit for. About 500 years ago, there was a man who was riding home from college from his university on horseback and he encountered a thunderstorm that shook him to the core. He was going to study law like his dad had wanted, to study law, become a lawyer, which is not an easy feat. 
And in the journey, he encountered a thunderstorm where he was convinced he was going to die. And in this thunderstorm, he cried out to God, if you help me, I'll give you my life. Because that's what we all do, right? When things are really bad, we're like, God, I'll do anything if you fix this mess. And then he spares us and we quickly are like, well, not quite anything, right, God? Like maybe something, but I won't do that. If you don't know who I'm referring to, his name was Martin Luther. Does that ring a bell? Martin Luther was this man who was studying law and in this thunderstorm promised God, if you save me, I'll give my life to you. Sure enough, he came through the storm just fine. And so he quit school. And if you're in school and in college, how many of your parents love it when you quit because you decide this is a waste of time? Right, his dad wasn't too happy. He quit school, and not only did he quit school, he devoted his life to becoming a monk. How many of you would love it if your kids said, you know what, I'm out of school, I'm becoming a monk for the rest of my life? Monks don't make a lot of money. They have very little public prestige and honor. Being a monk isn't really that great. But that was Luther's path. He said, God saved me, I will devote myself to him. And he began to study with the same vigor and the same attention that he gave to school and to law and to his Latin and to all the things he had learned. He began to study God's word and the church and the history of the church. And everything from that day forward was perfect in his life. Just joking. If you don't know the story, the more he began to study God's word, the more he began to look at the world around him and the church that he was a part of, he said, this is a really hot mess. In fact, it's really, really terrible. And many of the things the church was teaching and doing and believing were in fact contrary to what scripture taught. And so when he began to bring these things forward and and share, hey, guys, some of what we're saying and doing is inconsistent with scripture, they came up with a great idea. Busy people can't complain, so let's make him a professor to teach other people about the Bible, and then he won't have time to raise all these complaints. And the more he studied to be a professor and to teach, the more he realized we have made a big mess of what God has given us. Specifically, in his day and age, there were a couple of big problems. Anybody ever heard of St. Peter's Basilica? Do you know what that is? That's where the Pope resides. It's a super, super big church and really, really beautiful with gold and all kinds of painting and stained glass and like Michelangelo painted stuff there. It's a really big deal as a building and it's a beautiful space to gather and to praise and to sing. But big, beautiful spaces cost big, beautiful amounts of money. And where do you get the money? Well, from people. Other people you should give so that we can do this big, beautiful thing to honor God. The big, <laughs> big, long kitchen table would be awesome. So they are raising money to pay for this basilica because the Pope wanted a really great space to praise God and encounter his presence. And how do they raise money? Well, the Pope began to tell people it's really, really simple. If you purchase this piece of paper, I will forgive you of your sins. I don't know if you know much about Roman Catholic history, but at the time, their, their fundamental belief was that you and I receive grace from God 
That's like an infusion, an injection. That grace begins to empower us to do the right thing. And if we do the right thing long enough, we become perfect eventually. But if you are anything like Martin Luther or myself, you know that every time you try to do the right thing, you end up doing the wrong thing. And so Martin Luther, as a monk, when he would go to confession, would spend hours and hours and hours confessing all of his sin because he felt so guilty for how broken he was, for the mess he'd made of his life, for the people he'd wronged. In fact, he would go to confession at times, and he would confess that six or eight or nine weeks ago I confessed something I didn't actually mean. And now I need to confess that I really want to be sorry for the thing I wasn't sorry for. And imagine if this was where you were at, how difficult it would be to get rid of all the guilt and the shame and the regret or the inner monologue that tells you if only you had done it differently, things would be okay. If only you hadn't made a mess of this, then it would be all right. This is your fault. Think of the pain and the weight day in and day out. In fact, it got so bad that the confessors that Martin Luther were supposed to go and confess to, part of being a monk was you had obligatory confession. They would like take turns hiding from Martin Luther so that they didn't have to hear his confession because they didn't want to spend that long listening to all of his guilt and all of his shame and all of the condemnation he felt. So the Pope, knowing people feel this level of guilt, began to sell indulgences. I will give you a special measure of grace that forgives all of that sin you feel guilty for. And what happens if you sin again and you feel guilty again? Don't worry about it. Just buy another indulgence and I'll forgive you a little bit more. And if if grace acts to infuse you with good works so that you can eventually do the right thing and become perfect, you need to have a whole lot of time and all of our lives are limited. And so there's this belief in the Catholic Church of what's called purgatory. And purgatory is this idea that after we die, God gives us a space to exist to continue to do good things until eventually we've done enough good things to be fully forgiven. And part of these indulgences where not only could you be forgiven yourself if you have family members and friends who have died and they weren't very good and they were really guilty of things, well, you can pay money and I will free them from purgatory by forgiving them posthumously. After they've died, now they're forgiven. They can go and finally be with God. Now, if you've read scripture, this is not how grace works, but it was what the church was teaching and what the church was doing. For 12 years after becoming a monk, Martin Luther wrestled with scripture and he read and he studied and he looked at the church and he said, this is a really big mess. Specifically, we can't pay to get our way out of sorrow and suffering. We can't pay to be forgiven and no longer condemned. That's not how this works. And on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther decided we need to have a conversation about some of these things the church is doing. We need to sit down and really look at scripture and talk like the church is not good and it needs to be changed. And so as story has it, we don't know if this is true or not, but as the story goes, he went down to the church and he nailed to the church door 97 things. He said, these are things we need to talk about that we've been teaching and doing that are wrong. And that, as you can imagine, sparked an uproar. 
Because the biggest thing he said was wrong is you can't tell people to pay to be forgiven. That's not how forgiveness works. Well, if the Pope needed money and now he's saying you can't get money for offering forgiveness, obviously the Pope didn't like that. And so it began this long and drawn out process where there was a back and forth where the church said, stop saying those things, Martin. And he's like, I, I can't. This is true and I, I have to rely on scripture. And they said, well, just look at our interpretation of scripture. And, they, and Martin Luther said, but that's not scripture and scripture is different than your interpretation. And this whole journey became a real hot mess where multiple times they tried to kill Martin Luther, where in order to save his life, somebody else secretly kidnapped him and like put a bag over his head and kidnapped him to try to save him. Like this real big drawn out journey in history that we now call the Reformation. Because Martin Luther's goal was not to throw the church out and say, this is all terrible. His goal, along with those who came after him, was to look at scripture and say, the church has made a mess of what God has made beautiful. Let's unmake all of that mess and reshift our focus to what God has said is true. Here we are 500 years later, and I think the church has many things that need to be unmade. I'll get to some of them here in a moment. But let's open up to Scripture. If you would like to follow along, I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 was one of many places that Luther regularly went back to and said, this, this is what Scripture teaches about forgiveness and grace and what we need to cling to. If you have one of the blue Bibles, it's page 1,212. It, uh, you can find those in your pews or along the walls up, upstairs. If you have your own phone or Bible, I don't know what page it's at. Your phone, you can just search. Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. If you don't remember who Paul is, he used to hate and kill Christians until he became a Christian. And then he devoted the rest of his life to telling people about how great Jesus is. And Paul is no, no foreigner to sin and brokenness. In fact, he regularly tells people of all the ways he himself has fallen short. He's not enough. Here's what he says in Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul, he says here, look, you were dead in your trespasses. I think oftentimes the church wants to look at what we call sin or trespass and say that's just really a bad character trait, but it's not that big of a problem. Right? Like if you cut people off in traffic and then flip them the bird, like you shouldn't really do that. But it's just, it's a bad thing, but it's not that bad. If you just have a little bit of gossip or drama because, you know, the tabloids are fun from time to time or the, that show is really exciting to see how people fight and what, what's going to happen next, just a little bit of gossip's not that bad. Like, nobody's going to die from it. Scripture says we were dead in our trespasses. 
Like this is what sin does to us and in us. Everything God has created is put to death by sin. In fact, all the way in the beginning, this is what God had promised. If you do the thing you've been commanded not to do, it will kill you. Not it will make you a bad person or an okay person. Not it'll be fine because it's not as bad as the person next to you. No, sin will kill you. That's it. It says, we were all dead in our trespasses. In the same way that the whole of mankind, all of mankind is dead in their sin. Every one of us. And Paul continues, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There's two words there that often get thrown around, and I think we rarely stop to think of the meaning of them. First comes mercy. What is mercy? Well, it's when you or I deserve something bad. And instead, it's withheld from us. When we deserve punishment, mercy is when we don't get that punishment. So when you're going 90 down the interstate, I know the rest of traffic is still passing you, right? You're not even going the speed of traffic here in Knoxville. But when you're going 90 and a police officer stops you, says, do you know that this is a 65 zone? And you're like, no, you did, but you know, he doesn't know that you did, right? Mercy would be the officer kindly saying, you deserve a ticket, I'm not going to give you one. I'll give you a warning instead. You deserve something for the actions you took, but instead it's withheld. Grace, however, is different. Grace is you not only have mercy, something is withheld from you. Grace is being given something you don't deserve. Imagine... You're going 90 down the interstate, and the officer pulls you over and says, do you know how fast you're going? You're like, no, sir, how fast was I going? He's like, I clocked you going 90 in a 65. You're like, I had no idea. And you're lying, and you're trying to sweet talk your way out of it, and he's like, you know what? I'm supposed to take you to jail for going this fast, but instead, I'm not going to. I'm not only not going to take you to jail, I'm not going to give you a ticket. And for a moment, you're like, oh, thank God. And then this officer looks at you and says, but you know what I am going to do? Here's 200 bucks to pay your insurance bill this month because I know if you drive this fast, your insurance is probably higher. Have a good day. How would you feel in that moment? I certainly would feel really confused and actually probably a little offended. Like, what a jerk. This guy believes that I'm a bad person and I speed so much my insurance is higher? How rude. Because I was given something I didn't deserve, it's hard to accept it and receive it. Mercy and grace. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As Martin Luther explored scripture and studied time and time again, he comes across verses like these where it is a gift of God that we are forgiven. All of that guilt and shame and condemnation and that inner monologue that tells you you are not enough. Look at how you failed again. God instead speaks a better word over and over and over again. Being rich in mercy, he makes us alive in Christ. That we can be raised up, seated with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming days we can see the immeasurable amount of grace he pours out in kindness. For Martin Luther, as he studied scripture, as he returned to the word, as he set aside all the mess the church had made, and he began to unmake it and say, what is true? He found perhaps the greatest truth we all need to hear. It's not about you. It's not about me. None of this story is about us. It's all about a God who loves so unconditionally that he would give everything for us and to us. In Martin Luther's day, the things that needed to be unmade was his attitude that said, we can earn salvation by paying the right amount of money, by doing good works, even by setting ourselves apart to be monks. That's a better status than everybody else. I don't think we have that problem today. I think in the mess that the church has made 500 years later, very few of us believe that if we just pay more money, things will be okay. In fact, I think most of us don't have what we think is enough money to pay anything. So even if we could, we'd probably be in trouble. But I think we have a whole lot of other messes we've made that need to be unmade. The biggest being, this is not about you. We have a culture that is so individualistic, we think what's in it for me all the time. And we create the church in my image. Let it be like me, the things I want and the things I like, and let it serve me and my needs. But what if that's not what we as a church are supposed to be? Instead of serving you and serving me, what if we as a church are to be a people who lay down our lives for another? So how do I give of myself to those who could never give anything back? How do I pour out the grace that's been poured in to those who don't deserve it? I think in our day and age, part of the mess we've made of the church is it's all about me. But that's not scripture. It's all about God who loves me and who loves you and who has given everything for us.
I think another mess that we have made in the church today is actually very similar to the mess that Luther was dealing with in his day. That is, we have gotten so comfortable in the story we believe, the story we've been told, the things that have been said over and over and over again, that we just trust the story we've been told without ever actually picking up the story that tells us these things. We're just comfortable saying, I believe these things because I've always believed them or I've been told to believe them or maybe this is what the world around me tells me is true about Christianity, so it's okay, it must be true. But I believe to unmake the mess that is a church that is self-centered and selfish, to unmake the mess of a church that has a very shallow understanding of the riches of God's grace, I believe you and I need to return, like Luther, to Scripture. What if instead of turning on the news to find our worldview, we turn to God's Word? Instead of turning on the conversation on the radio, we turn to God's Word and we have a conversation with the God who made us in His image. What if we set aside our own opinions and we came honestly to this Word and said, I I don't like everything that's in here. It's okay to be really offended by what's in this word. Did you know that? The reason for that is you and I being dead in our trespasses of our own accord do not know how to find life. I've never seen a dead man raise himself to life, but I've heard it happened once. I heard it here in this word. There's one man who was dead who raised himself to life. The rest of us need another. And what if the mess that we think is the church, where we often think it's judgmental or it's hypocritical or it's really shallow or we think the church is this or that, we have all these messes that are true and have been made. What if the solution is turning back to God's word? What does it say? And at times when his word convicts us, we submit to it. And at times when it challenges us, we question and ask and we seek, not according to what feels right for me, but what does his word say? I believe, as Martin Luther believed, that every question about the Bible that we have can be answered from the Bible. That all of this word is inspired by God and breathed out. That doesn't mean God took a pen and wrote it down. He used ordinary people to put it together. But he guided and directed that through this word we can encounter his immeasurable grace. What if that's how we approached each day? Today, God, I will be a mess. I will do the wrong things. I will say things I shouldn't. I will hurt people I love. I will forget people who've hurt me. I will do the wrong things today. But your word can show me a better way. And what if you and I saw that through this word we encounter a God who loves us, even through the uncomfortable and challenging things? It says in the Gospel of John that the word in the beginning was the word The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then it says a little bit later, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. If you or I read this Word and we learn how to be a better person, we are missing out on what God has created for us. 
This word is not to make bad people good. It's to make dead people alive. And the only way that happens is when this word points us not to things we do differently or better, but to the God who's done it all for us. Jesus, the word made flesh, is for you and me the immeasurable grace God wants to pour out each and every day. Over and over and over again. So that what is in us that is bad can slowly die. That the more we experience Jesus in his word, we begin to have all of our sinful mess be unmade. To be transformed into his image and found in abundant grace. As we begin the process of unmaking things we have believed and held, let me warn you, if you take this seriously, and you seek his word as your truth and as your hope and as your anchor, the more he begins to unpack and unmake in you, the harder it will get. I promise. For Martin Luther, the more he dove into the word, it did not make his life better, but it made it worth living. See, you and I can only be fully empowered to endure all that this world has to throw at us. All of the mess that we will continue to be in when we're remade in Christ each day with grace, with mercy that is abundant. And from that place, what can this world offer that really takes anything away? Will you pray with me? God, you 500 years ago invited a man to turn back to you, to find freedom in your grace, a gift he did not deserve and could not earn, to be transformed by your word each day. God, here we are 500 years later with a church that is still broken, with people that are still sinful, dead in our trespasses. But once again, you invite us back to come and freely receive what you are giving. Forgiveness we do not deserve. Mercy for the things we've done wrong. God, you are inviting us today to walk in your goodness and your faithfulness. To do the good works you have prepared in advance for us. Not so that we are forgiven but because you've already made us new. Teach us today to stand in this promise, to trust in this goodness, and to look at the ways that this church and that our attitudes towards your church and that the way in which we live in this world teach us today to unmake all the things that are not true, to rely solely on you and on your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, every week we invite questions, and you get the chance to, or, to ask, and I'll do my best to respond. Tyler, I'll ask you to step over a little further. Tyler doesn't normally get on a mic to do this, so thank you, Tyler. What questions came in today? I, I do have a microphone. I Can we it. get the white one turned on? There we go. There we go. Hey. Yeah, I got it. With all the different interpretations of the word, 
how do we really know how to dig in and start studying, especially considering how off the popular interpretations in Luther's time were? Yeah, so there are a whole lot of interpretations. One thing about Martin Luther you may not know, uh, he actually, the Bible he had was written in Latin, and uh, the problem was it had been translated from Greek or from Hebrew into Greek into Latin, and that's what he had to work with. And so he took a lot of time to find Greek and Hebrew manuscripts and like go back and look at it in depth. If you could study Greek and Hebrew, that's ideal. I'll tell you, having learned both, that's a nightmare and really, really hard. So thankfully, we live in a day and age where there's thousands of people who've studied Greek and Hebrew to help understand Scripture best. Uh, and, and with that, there are different translations that have different measures of like consistency with the original Greek versus not. So contrary to popular Southern belief, the King James Bible is not the ideal one to use, not because Old English is bad, but because that was from Latin into English, so it had like four stages of translation. Now, if you like the Old English, you can go to the New King James Version, which went back to Greek and Hebrew and then translated from that place, so that's a better start. I use, and here we use the ESV translation because that's the most true to the like, originality of the text with the least interpretation. But then comes the question, how do you interpret that text? Right? Because it's hard, and some of the stories are confusing, and we said this doesn't really make much sense. Well, I believe wholeheartedly that the Bible will help interpret the Bible itself. So what we do is we try to find other passages talking about similar things, similar stories. We try to look at other things God said and said, how does that connect with this? So find what is easy and start there and then work to what is really complicated. Now, if all of that still leaves you going, I don't even know where to start, this is part of why God has given us the church. We as the church are not without error. There have been times, like in Martin Luther's day, where we have used Scripture to justify and explain things that are not good and true. In our culture today, just a real quick caveat, there's a temptation to reinterpret and change the Scripture we don't like, and that's not new. That's happened for 2,000 years. So I don't think that you should say everything the church believes is good and true. I also don't think you should say, I reject it because I don't like it. So seek wisdom and advice from people from a variety of perspectives, preferably people you trust. Continue to study it on your own. Maybe find some of the resources that are out there where you can learn what the Greek and the Hebrew means without actually learning Greek and Hebrew. And then through all of that study and conversation with other Christians and exploring your own life and say, where does this word speak to what life has been for me, in those things, I think all together, our experience and the history of the church and even just our own reason and understanding, I think all those things combined can help us uh, find the truth. In this place, we believe Martin Luther and several people who came after him wrote some really helpful guides that are helpful tools to understand the complicated things. They're not scripture, they're not equal to scripture, but those guides are called confessions and they can help us understand the Bible better. Um, so if you would like to learn more about what we as Lutherans believe and how we read the Bible, uh, come to the Apostles' Creed class or come talk to me. Very cool. All right, that's good to know. Um, next, uh, we have someone sent a meme. Has anyone seen a meme before on the internet? 
So that is... For those of you who don't know, that's a picture with words that's usually funny. Yeah, so, and obviously I can't show you. Can, can you see this? You can't see that. So, but it says, coffee first reached Europe in 1515. So that was a pretty long time ago. And Martin Luther sparked the Reformation in 1517. And then it says, beware a caffeinated pastor. There's truth in that. So, I'll tell you, I've had like eight cups of coffee today, and I'm just wired. <laughs> so, I, I can imagine if you're responsible for pastoring people. Anything else? I do not believe we... Nope, that's Excellent. it. Excellent. Well, you guys are welcome to text in questions anytime, and if you text them in throughout the week, that phone number is on our website. We will do our best to respond. Emily and I have actually been working on a series of videos for Instagram, for those of you who are on Instagram and follow us there, diving in a little more into the process of when your present reality conflicts with the things you've believed, uh, what do you do with that? And it's a process called deconstruction. And so if you or someone you know has been deconstructing the church or their faith or the things they believe to be true, um, follow us on thepointknox.com, or not thepointknox.com, on Instagram at thepointknox. I don't even use Instagram, so I don't know how all that works, but Emily's great at what she does, and she makes it look wonderful. Um, we're doing a series of videos there. You can find a little bit more on what this process looks like in your world. So with that, receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.